Welcome to the Investment Cuddle. I'm Gary and I'm here with Philip. And today on the podcast, we're going to talk about inflation and what to buy in an inflationary environment. So Philip, what is inflation? Well, inflation is the general rise in the price of goods and services over a period of time. When there is more money chasing the same number of goods or in services, prices tend to go up, i.e. inflation increases. When the number of goods and services reduces, but the quantity of money hasn't changed, prices tend to go up, inflation increases. Another example is when the quantity of money reduces, but the number of goods and services don't change, prices tend to decrease, and that is known as deflation, the inflation decreasing. So at the moment, prices seem to be going up, so you could say we're living in an inflationary environment. So are there different types of inflation? There's certainly different ways of measuring inflation. Um, there's things called GDP deflator inflation, retail price index, consumer price index, and plethora of other things in between. For the man on the street, the ones that they most would have heard of and that has most effect on them are the historic retail price index, RPI, and the consumer price index, CPI. CPI is now the one that's the preferred measure of inflation, and it's the one that's most often quoted for inflation in the UK. Both RPI and CPI are based on the number of goods and services that the average consumer buys regularly, and this is tracked by the Office of National Statistics to check how over a 12-month period every year since the 40s to see how inflation has changed in the UK. They're then broken down into different subsets of the basket of goods. So you've got stuff for clothes, stuff for food, stuff for transport, stuff for ledger, things of that nature. Okay, so we're measuring inflation and it's... Basically, I think, as we've said before, there is an official basket of goods, but there's also your basket of goods. I guess the basics are all going to be the same, aren't they? You know, power, fuel, that sort of thing. So the question I was just going to ask was, does that basket of goods change over time? Yes. There's things like mobile phones and other sort of electronic technology things like computers that didn't exist for the retail market in the 50s and 60s didn't really much exist until the 80s. So therefore, these have come in. And there's other things that we don't really buy anymore, certain food stocks and things, that have been taken out. I think Spam had much higher weighting in the 40s and the 50s than it currently has now. So we have inflation with different ways of measuring it. Does it matter? Should, should we be concerned? Yes, because it is, in effect, a wealth tax, but a under-the-table, un-slow un- wealth tax. So every time initial wages and your income, whether that's from your investments or your income from your jobs and your salary, go up, you're losing money, you're losing purchasing power over time. So yes, you do need to. Governments like it because it's a way of making you cheaper without people realising because their headline numbers don't change. You still pay the same amount of money. It just buys you less. So as investors, yes, we need to be wary of inflation. Okay. So if it matters... Should we be buying things for an inflationary environment in terms of the stock market? And what what are they? You have to understand a bit. It depends how bad or how high the inflation goes. If you get to hyperinflation, to be honest, it doesn't really matter. Just buying physical items matters. You can't pick anything good. When you've got where you say moderate inflation, over 10%, certainly below 8%, it so there are certain bonds you can buy, inflation-linked bonds, 
although they're very expensive because, again, everyone's pining into those. And there are certain companies you could buy who generally do better in a moderate inflation environment. But when you get to a medium to high inflation environment, no one does really well. Now, we're not in those plus 10% inflation environment yet. Uh, so what we can probably going to discuss today won't really be useful in that environment. We're talking of things that are below 8%. So are there places we can look to see where there are things to buy that would help in an inflationary environment? You know, are there funds, shares, companies that do better in that environment? And how do we, how do we look for those? There are certain companies that have been around for a very, very long time, and there are certain investment companies that have been around for a very, very long time and been through several inflationary periods. Through this, I'm talking about investment trusts in the UK. Some of those started out in the mid to late Victorian period, so they had bits of inflation there, bits of deflation during the Victorian period. Then we went into the 20s where we had a big bit of deflation and a big bit of inflation post-World War One and then post-World War Two, And they came out relatively well. Not always, but over the medium term, they came out relatively well. So it can be done, but what you're probably investing is you're looking for different things than what you probably did during the low, low interest rate, low um, inflation world that we used to be in. When you have an inflationary environment, money in the hand is worth a lot more than in the future. Because in the future, it's not its purchasing power is less. So unless you discount for it, which gets more complicated, it's just not worth as much. Whereas when you have a low interest rate, low inflation environment, cash flow in the future is very valuable. So often what you'll find is you'll be companies that are not ridiculously overpriced relative to metrics such as their earning power or their dividend, uh, how much they cash flow they generate and how much they pay in dividends and how much they grow their cash flow and grow their dividends. And this is where when it comes down to investors, investment trusts are a better vehicle because they invest in companies like unit trusts. But the difference is a unit trust has to pay out all the dividends it gets that year. And if the companies underlying cut their dividend, they have to cut their dividend. Investment trusts can hold back some of that profits and dividends from previous years to smooth it out. And there's a big history of certainly the large investment trusts that were Victorian that since the Second World War haven't cut. Many of them have still managed to grow almost every year, but they've never cut a dividend because of that ability to store savings for the rainy days because it's never a complete straight line. So this is where these ones are probably more interesting to look at. Okay, so I think what we're saying there is that we've got the potential to buy funds that have a, like you say, a rainy day fund or a, or have have savings that they can utilise as needed to maintain those dividends. But I think the interesting point from my perspective is you mentioned about growing dividends. And if therefore you're growing at, what did you say earlier on, you know, below 8% inflation. So say inflation is at 5% and someone's growing their dividend at 5%, at least you are keeping pace with inflation. And that's a key point here because you could turn around and treat a company like you treat a bond where the coupon it pays out is interest. Is that bigger or lower than inflation? However, with a company, you're buying a company because you hope to grow it, not just fit a bond fixed. So you're hoping to grow it. So what you're not necessarily looking at today's yield, you're looking at going, well, can you grow it? 
And that's a different way of looking at inflation where the ultimate current yield you're buying next day may not be the important figure. It might be how much they tend to grow their dividends. Because the ideal world is you buy some today. It may only be paying the 2% dividend. However, in 10 years, if it can do 5% compound growth over 10 years, it's paying a hell of a lot more than 2% in 10 years' time. So I want one of these investment trusts. I want something that's going to be paying a nominal dividend, the higher the better, but let's not, let's not be specific. And then I want to make sure that it's been growing its dividend for maybe not as long as the war, but something that's growing. How do I access that information? Is that something that you know is readily available? Yes. Now, it's something we've mentioned before in one of our early podcasts. Um, the Association of Investment Companies is the official, shall we say, industry body for investment trusts in the United Kingdom. They have a website at www.theaic.co.uk. They have lots of interesting data on there about all of the investment trusts in the UK, data that you can get hold of elsewhere, but it's they put it all in one place. So some of the things you can go on there, you can look at individual companies, individual investment trusts. Unfortunately, some of the names of these historic investment trusts don't scream at you to say, I'm an investment trust because they don't necessarily have the names of the modern managers. Some do, some don't. For example, being Finsbury Park. That was an investment trust set up in the 1920s, I believe. And it's run by, now it's nowadays since 2001, it's been run by Lindsay Train Asset Management. But unless you knew that, you would just think it's a company made right. properly in property development, because of, it's got called Finsbury Park, and that's in the expensive bit of London. So a good place to go would be the Association of Investment Companies website. And in there, among the tabs you've got on their website called Compare Investment Companies, you can look down and they show you all of the investment companies in the UK and they'll do, do it by sectors. So, for example, if you went through there and looked at the equity income sector for the UK, now in the UK, we've always had a tradition of paying income and dividends, and this one hits you there. And what you'll find is, you get um, you could you can search by how big they are, what their net asset value is, and how much dividends they currently pay as a yield today. Now the average in the UK for the equity income sector for investment trusts is currently three point nine three percent, which isn't bad. Now there are many above that and below that. For example, one of the ones with the highest income yield at the moment is British American with 12.9, followed by Aberdeen Standards Equity Income Fund at 6.3, BMO UK High Income Fund at 6.2. Now, there's very different reasons why they're that, and you may not want to go for consider the British American one at 12. That just tells you the highlight of them, what they're currently paying today. If you now looked at it and said, well, what's the average five-year dividend growth been? you would find that British American, although it had a really high dividend yield now, over the last five years has an average dividend growth negative 16%. So maybe you don't want to consider that one. Whereas the Aberdeen Standard Equity Income had an average income growth of 6.6%. So that may be more interesting. But it's not just those ones you want to consider when you're looking at it. All the sectors in the investment trust universe, from emerging markets, Europe, global income funds and all the others, you can get the same information out of it. Looking at, say, UK equity income sector, who's got the biggest 
dividends growth over the last five years. And it came out to be Lord Ventures Corporation. Like I said earlier, who would have thought with a name like that for an investment trust? <laughs> Originally, I believe this was set up as part of the association for lawyers for their pension fund. And then they realized that they were doing a reasonable good job of managing and being an investment company, but they broadened it out to other retail investors, hence the weird name. But they were having a, a quite a large dividend growth over the last five years. Now, others there, Aberdeen Standard had 6.6. Diversified Income Trust, the next one down, had 6.02. Lowlands had 6% dividend growth. Shovelton UK Dividends had 5.92. JP Morgan Claverhouse had a dividend growth of 5.81 and a dividend yield of currently at 4.5. Now, I was thinking, if we go and delve into some of these, because just these headline numbers alone are probably aren't that you need to delve into a little bit more detail about what they're doing because some of them can be very highly geared, i.e. they have a lot of debt to turbocharge their investment returns, which makes it a risk factor. So, yeah, so I think the point there is is just, just to refresh, the investment trusts, whilst we've said they've got a little piggy bank, they've also got the ability, because they are a company and just the shares are traded on the stock market, that they can go out and borrow against the trust. Correct. So, And that is referred to as gearing. So the gearing is really important because if they are potentially over-geared, they might just not be able to, you know, it's like it's like having a, having a mortgage or a loan, isn't it? And you borrow too much and can't then service that debt. So that's an, another parameter within this you know you've got to look beyond the dividend yield you've got to look at beyond the dividend growth you've also got to delve into because they're all different sizes as well aren't they correct yes you've got some that can be maybe only 50 million or smaller some that are seven or eight million so yeah so I, i think there's those those elements and i think if you go back to episode three well, we've talked about the differences between the OICs, investment trusts, bonds, that kind of thing. We've looked at those different funds and kind of given pointers. And also more recently, and in the episode on dividends, it's episode 26, we've looked at, if you are going to do dividend investing, some of the key points to look at there. So another thing that's worth looking at with those is the Association of Investment Companies it allows you to delve deeper into the numbers of those funds. So, for example, if we start looking at Lord Ventures, had a really high dividend income, a pretty high dividend, and a very, very high dividend growth, let's look into it a little bit more. So here you can see that it has a market capitalization of approximately £928 million. It has gearing at 19%. So... It has increased its assets under management by 19% by borrowing money. Okay. And so in terms of just an, you know, an average number for gearing, is that high or low for an investment trust? Some of them, it depends. But it is relatively high compared to many. Some, quite a few, have zero gearing. Quite a few have something between 5 and 10. This is above the 10% level. There are some which are higher than this. But this is at the moderate to higher end than many of the others. And that does mean that if you pick it right, it turbocharges your returns. Now, because it's this growth, there's some other things we can look in here. When you look on the dividend tag on 
the website, you can see it'll then bring up you know the historic dividends. And one of the things you see is what's called dividend cover and also revenues. This is the savings part effectively. Now for Lord Adventures Corporation, last financial year that was reported, they had savings of thirty six million pounds. Now that equated to one point zero eight times their dividends per year. So basically they have one year's dividend savings. So that means you've got a reasonable amount of cover, meaning your dividend shouldn't completely collapse, but you've got many years to smooth out the trough. Another thing you can see is it'll go through and it will show you their historic dividends. Now, this is another important thing to think about. Because it's a company, it doesn't actually have to have all of its dividends come from the dividends from its underlying investments. It can sell some of those companies and pay the proceeds off its dividends. And that's known as is the dividends covered by income or capital? Now, as you can see, Lord Adventures Corporation, for at least going back to 2008, it's all income. And that's the other thing that's very interesting about um, the IRC's website is you'll go back a very, very long way. Sometimes you can go back to the 40s from that years, the tables, they talk about how they paid a dividend. So to give you in perspective, back in 2008, they paid dividend twice a year. So... Eight pence and 4.2 pence. Now you look at them today, they pay it four times a year, of which they're averaging 6.8 pence every three months. So you can get an idea of how much that dividend has grown over time. Well, it's, du- it's doubled. Yeah. And that, my math is not good, but that's that's doubled. Yeah. And that's that's the sort of interesting thing you can go for. You can find the right trust that allows you to double your growth. Again, you don't care about the yield when you're buying in. It probably wasn't that high probably two, three percent. But you think about it 10 years later, it's doubled it. It's now four. Double it again. It could be eight percent because you have to consider where you originally bought it. And this is one that's very could be very interesting. And that's sort of a different strategy you're looking at. And when you're looking at how much they've grown it, their growth of their dividends is certainly above inflation over those periods. Right. So so this is a, you know, you're advocating buy and hold in this example, if you bought it in Oh, eight. And you're also then beating inflation by a long way in a period where we had low low inflation. And so actually, you know, you could turn around and say, even if this wasn't quite maintaining itself against inflation now for however long this period lasts, you know, you made you made hay with this for quite some time beating inflation. Yes, and that's the only thing that nurses need to be examined is the assumption is past performance. They managed to do very, very well over the last 15, 20 years in a relatively benign environment, economic environment. Will they be as good going forward? Question here is, again, most managers haven't invested in an inflationary environment before because they probably weren't even born when the last time we had real inflation in the 80s, and a few of them were still at school. Very few were actively investing in that period when you had to really think about inflation. Yeah, I, I think this is, you know, it's a generational thing, inflation, without a doubt, because I think we've probably been told stories of what a double-digit inflationary environment was like, or certainly maybe not double-digit inflationary, but it was sort of high, high inflationary environment, which led to a double-digit interest rate, which at the moment just seems unbelievable because we have such low interest rates 
there's a whole other discussion on uh, the impact of, of that should should interest rates rise. But so in, in law debenture, then are we not just saying, well, that's a good investment trust? So are we not just then advocating buying good companies? Well, always you want to buy good companies. But another thing you maybe want to look at, again, this is where law debenture is going, what earth they investing in? Also, again, on the Association of Investment Companies website, you can access the most recent fund documents or tell you what they're, what they're currently investing in. So at the moment, the most recent slide is saying it's unsurprisingly 82% UK, 4% America, 1.6% France, 1.6% Germany. It's a UK income fund. Its biggest single holding is GlaxoSmithKline at 2.8%, Fund by Shell at 2.4%, HSBC Holdings at 2.3%, BP at 2.2%, Barclays at 2.2%, Rio Tinto at 2%, Lloyds Banking Group at 1.6%, Direct Run Insurance at 1.6%. Generally, companies that pay dividends have had paid dividends for quite some time. Somewhat boring compared to technology companies, but it's paying the sort of standard income-generating investor is investing in income-generating companies that pay strong dividends. Okay, so what's the breakdown? Because you talked about oil companies in there, mining companies. What's the breakdown on sectors? General finance is their biggest sector, which makes up 25%. That's predominantly going to be retail, basic finance companies, not necessarily banks, so insurance companies, fund managers, but other mm-hmm. deal with payment systems. The next biggest sector is general industries at 23%. Financial services, which is the big banks, is at 21%. Miners, base, base materials is only 13 Oil and gas is only 9.7%. So when you're looking at some of that stuff, it's heavily geared to the financial services because they tend to do better in a higher interest rate environment mm-hmm. than they do in a very low interest rate environment, historically. We'll see whether that actually pans out in the future. But in the past, higher interest rates have and hence why they're seriously geared toward that side of the market. Well, yeah, I think that I think that shows, doesn't it? You've got financials, industrials, oil and gas. We you know, we know those things in an inflationary environment mm. tend to go up and actually quite often the oil price is driving inflation. So that might be a sensible area to sit. But as you said earlier on, you know, this is FTSE 100 companies, so UK stock market. FTSE's not done that well historically. historically, so it's boring, but is it better to be in that? The FTSE generally has got very few companies that don't have high cash flow that don't pay dividend, unlike, say, the NASDAQ, which has got an awful lot of companies that don't pay dividend and have negative cash flow. So therefore, you're potentially buying companies that are boring. They're not tech. They're not growth for growth's sake. Right. So are we saying then we think in an inflationary environment, boring is okay? Boring is financially viable, whereas growth for growth's sake, when you've got negative cash flow in an inflationary environment, could be fatal. Because who's going to give money to a company that's losing money faster just for market share? And actually, the price of the, the promise of dividends or growth in the future, discounting for inflation, is horrendous. Unless you're exceptionally cheap, and we're talking very low multiples of price-earning ratios, not what they're currently seeing. Okay, so what other options of investment trusts are out there that have a similar dividend growth 
performance, let's call it, like Lord Adventure. Another one that has uh, relatively high dividend yield and high dividend growth over the last five years in the UK equity income sector is Diversified Income Trust. This one has a market capitalization of 397 million. It has a dividend yield of 3.55% and a dividend growth rate of 6% uh, averaged over the last five years per annum. The interesting thing about this is it has zero gearing compared to what we saw with the 19% we saw with um, Lord Ventures. Its investment manager is Premier Milton, who are often renowned for income and small company funds. And this is where it's quite interesting when you start looking into them. It has a dividend reserves of £15 million, which equates to a dividend cover of 1.1 years. And it's been paying a dividend every year since 2012. Now, the interesting thing is when you start looking at what's in its portfolio, when you see the first couple of companies, they're not necessarily big name companies. And this is where you find out that it's got an awful lot of small companies in it. So FTSE AIM, alternative investment market companies, make up 36%. FTSE 100 companies only make up 22% of the fund. And FTSE 250 companies only make up 16.9%. FTSE small cap companies make up a further 15%. So as you can see, you're talking about a company that's got almost half of the companies investing small. And this makes it quite radically different to almost all of the income funds you're going to see for the UK sector, or certainly most of them. And it can do that because it's relatively small or only 380 million. Yeah, because I think it it's almost counterintuitive for me. I look at that and think, well, smaller companies don't pay a dividend. So therefore, how are they managing that? And I think that's just is, is a learning point that says actually small companies and me, medium cap size companies do pay a dividend and you can utilize that area. So that's quite a big difference from the previous example where it was mostly large cap companies. And it's also worth noting here that point again. It's not a huge fund. The investment trust here is not massive. We're well under half a billion. So the problem with small companies is lots of small companies do pay dividends. The problem is, though, they're small. If you've got several billion pounds in under management, they're too small to pay you a really um, significant dividend. So therefore, only small investment trusts or small funds can try to pay the small cap dividend. But you might find they've got very good dividend growth potential over the longer term. So sometimes you don't want to go for the big name trusts. You want to maybe go for some of the smaller trust sizes because that might help you to get better returns. Another one we can look at, which is, should we say, on the size of fund, the complete polar opposite of diversified income trust. Let's look at Finsbury Park. Finsbury Park has a market capitalization of £1.8 billion. It has a little bit of gearing at 1%. It has a dividend yield of 2.1% at the moment. And it has a historic five-year dividend growth per annum of 5.5%. Now, it has a dividend cover, sorry, it has dividend reserves here of £49 million, which is equivalent to a dividend cover of 1.29 years. They have been over the last couple of years dipping into their reserves a little bit to maintain their dividend, 
But as you can see, they've got plug or reserves to allow you to maintain your dividend or grow it. However, when you start looking at, and this is a fund that's been around since the 20s, 1920s, you look at what's actually in this fund, it's quite different to diversify. Because it's so big here, most of what you're looking at are really big FTSE 100, FTSE 250 companies, because it's just, you can't go smaller than that, because it just doesn't make a difference, they're too small. It's 78% UK, 11% US, 5% France, 5% Netherlands, for it to break down. Its biggest investments are Delagio at 12%, Relax PLC at 11.8%. Um, the third biggest company in its holdings is Mondelez at 8.3%, London Stock Exchange Group at 8.3%, Unilever at 8%, Schroders at 7.6%, Burberry at 75 Hargreaves Lansdowne at 5.7%, Sage Group at 57 Just to give you an example. So when you look at the industrial breakdowns, this is quite different. 41% are consumer defensive. So these are stuff that people buy no matter what the market is. You buy your soap products from Unilever, whether it's up or down, the general environment. Right, and in an inflationary environment, that's exactly the point, isn't it? You're still going to be going and having a wash. One, <laughs> one, one would hope. So the next biggest sector is financial services at 22%. Communication services at 21, sorry, 12%. Consumer cyclicals at 7, technology at 6. So it's mostly a consumer dimension. So it's very different to diversified income and growth. Partly driven by how big it is, but also partly driven by the management style, because this is run by Lindsay Train Management Investment Managers. There's only, I think, 22 holdings in total in the entire fund. So it's quite aggressive in backing it, what it considers to be the winners. Yeah, and I, and I guess when you look at, you know, that's a larger, large cap company fund, in my mind, they don't have as much flexibility, as you said, with diversified, but actually it's still incredibly dis different to Lord Adventure as well, because yeah. Lord Adventure are looking at you know, miners, oil and gas. So actually as part of a... And Fintry Park has no miners that I can see. No, and, and that's what I'm thinking is actually between, you know, it's not a, it might not even be a decision of, as an either or, it might be both because you it gives you exposure to those sectors and you turn around, well, you know, that's, that as part of a balanced portfolio is no bad thing. So we're not really saying, you know, it, it's just, this is to compare and contrast. It's not to say that Finsbury Park is better than Lord Adventure or vice versa. It's but, more around... What do you want to invest in? And we, what I think we're saying here is for the large cap, there are ones that are focused on different sectors as well, but also have dividend growth, which in an inflationary environment is no bad thing. So what else have we got out there? Is there anything else that's a little bit more exciting? Because, you know, large cap, small cap, that's fine. None of these seem to be desperately highly geared. I know we said Lord of Benches perhaps higher than, than some. But, you know, if you really want to go for it, what else is there? Okay, let's look at ones that are highly geared. Now, let's put the gearing numbers into context again. So we had Diversified Income Trust, which had 0% gearing. We had Finsbury Park, which had 1% gearing. And then we had Lord Adventures, that had 19% gearing. Now, again, looking at the UK income sector, there is Chevrolet UK Dividend, which has 39% gearing because it's structured as a split capital trust. 
Now, let me explain what one of those is. Here, please. This is where you have two classes of shares. One class, which is ordinary, which pays a standard dividend, and hopefully you'll get dividend growth. Then you have what's called zeros. These ones are ones where they pay zero dividend, but they have almost like a fixed amount of capital you'll get at the end of it. So that's effectively your gearing. So they, most of their gearing is probably zero shares they offer. So they've got a fixed amount of capital growth, and the ordinary shares will either go, if they get more than that, they get to keep it. If you get less than that, then that comes out of their fund. So this is not, this is an aggressive fund. Now let's put it in perspective. The market cap of the ordinary shares is only 40 million. It's small. Then you look at what is it actually, and it's also playing in the income space. So it, has, it currently has a dividend yield of 5.7%. It has reserves of 2.6 million. They don't sound very much, but because it's relatively small, it equates to a dividend cover of about 1.1 years, 1.1 to 1.16 years. Used to be higher than that. It's been paying dividend for a long time. It has been around since the early 2000s. It's one most people wouldn't have heard of because it's a split capital trust with high gearing, so it's not what most people look at. When you actually look at what it holds, it's mainly a small company fund based around high gearing. It's been around for quite some time. So through many ups and downs of the stock market, they've managed to stay solvent. So there was these guys here now have got something they know what they're doing. But this isn't a widow's and orphans fund. This is this is far more aggressive than most other income funds that I've come across. Now, I have taken a punt with these ones, as the same as I have invested with Finsley Park. But these are definitely ones in here that you go, you need to go in there with your eyes open. They can do very, very well. But it is a very, very high gearing. Yeah, because I think with with uh, the ticker on this is SDV um, for Chelverton, UK dividend fund. But as an investment trust, if memory serves, a few years ago, it was pretty beaten up and it's done better more recently. So a lot of these in terms of if this uh, targets on certain sectors, they'll be cyclical. I think these guys have been quite beaten up and I'm not entirely sure why, whether that was just what they were investing in or whether that's perhaps the, the, the level of risk that it's carrying. If you look at the premium or discount to its net asset value compared to its share price, yeah, it's quite volatile and that's probably down to its high gearing. When you look at its performance, whether it's net asset value or share price, it was, it is a small company fund. I don't think there's anything in here that's anywhere near the FTSE 100. They're all in the FTSE, but they're not in the FTSE 100. So I remember looking at this, like there's a couple of them in the FTSE 250. Most of these are small companies. So therefore, after Brit Exit, they all small companies took a pounding, particularly if you're in the industrial side that wasn't tech and growth. So they didn't do very well in that sense compared to the pure growth place. However, after COVID-19 affected the stock market, they got some very, very interesting looking dividend numbers. Now, when I said they had their reserves used to be more like two and a half to three type years coverage. So they have eaten away a lot of it. They have had several years looking at the past financial, two financial years where they've only had dividend covers of say 0.6 to 0.7 of what they pay on dividends. So it's, most of those small companies stop paying dividends. They're not like the big guys. So therefore they've had to eat more into their reserves than many others have had to do. But you're in a different space with lots of small companies that maybe have more to grow. 
Okay, the high gearing means it's a high conviction fund that can gearing can turbocharge your performance and turbocharge your losses. However, the other one interesting point is again looking at say who the chairman of the company of this investment trust. It is Lord Lamont. Uh, used to be the former um, Chancellor of Exchequer in the early 90s. And when you look at it, it's he's fairly convicted, has been buying quite a lot of shares during this period. So sometimes it's worth looking at what's the directors doing. If they believe the fund, they tend to keep buying it and in reasonable large numbers. Now, he's amassed quite a large holdings in this company. Again, the sorts of information you can see from... At the back of their financial reports, you see how many of the shares are owned by there, and they have to be because the directors they have to publicly tell you where they're buying and selling. Yeah. So, but again, it's high risk compared to Finsbury Park, compared to diversified income trust, even Lord Ventures, because it's got twice the gearing of the next closest one. Yeah, and as you said, you know, if if the if the people involved with the fund are are owners, I mean, they have skin in the game whether that's a fund or a company, that's always a positive sign generally because it means they've got, as you said, they're committed to the, to the organisation. And, and again, with that fund, it's got a higher than the average dividend return. So I think when you said at the beginning, we're talking, you know, three, three plus percent as the average, this is paying what was five, nearly six percent. So if it's you know, somewhere doubled div- doubling that dividend or at least somewhere near that you, you nothing comes for free you have you to have, something you, you have to, risk somewhere yeah you have to compromise somewhere with these things and say well okay it's paying twice now let's say as an average there's a reason for that but i, I think i guess in summary you know as you said there's a number of funds there to look at that might give you some hope of at least keeping up with inflation as we go through this period. At the very least, keeping up with inflation, but possibly even beating it as we go forward, because we do not know at the moment whether the inflation will maintain or whether this is just a a spike and it will settle down to a lower value. It's difficult to know, but I think what we said earlier on about buying, whether it's investment companies or investment trusts, the the OICs, the unit trusts, or individual companies, it comes down to, as you've said, Philip, looking at the numbers, picking what you want to buy, and having some conviction that that's your decision. And again, when you showed the example of the 2008 through to now doubling of dividend, having patience. And also diversification. And that's where you're looking at some funds, you go, well, I'd like some small company exposure. You're going to have to do this research. They come with risks. They come with different risks than if it's just FTSE 100, FTSE 250 investors investing in. So, again, you need to make your own decisions. Your tolerance to risk is guaranteed to be different to my tolerance of risk because we have different horizons of investing over and different aims. But a lot you can do with yourself by looking at, uh, looking at yourself. And there's a lot of information you can get out there from your stockbroker, from the associated investment companies and then selectively reading the funds for the investment trusts you're actually interested in in more detail to find exactly what they're doing i guess something we end on quite often is do your research as exciting as that is and just make sure that what you do pick is meeting your investment needs goals and what 
will allow you to sleep at night. So one thing is worthwhile, the things we've looked at today have, have all been in the UK equity income sector. You could do exactly the same sort of research with in all the other sectors, American, global income, emerging markets, Japan. It is worth thinking again as well, going predominantly we've looked at companies that are trying to grow their dividends, trying to grow their cash flow and investment trusts that tend to pick them to grow that level of return in inflationary environments, uh, partly because at least if you, even if the capital's not doing anything, you're getting a return on your investment through the dividends and hopefully growing your dividends or trying to at least offset inflation with the growth of the dividends. You could go for all-out growth. That is possible. It has happened in the 70s. It's not easy because um, you have to pick something that does actually grow and then not collapse. So examples is Scottish mortgage has been talked about an awful lot. That's one that's heavy growth. Now, that's global growth. It has a market capitalization of 13.7 billion pounds. So they've got to look for huge companies that are going to grow to make any meaningful difference. They do pay a dividend. It's 0.3%. And they do have reasonable dividend growth over the last five years averaged of 2.9%. But when you look down at what they got there, their reserves, dividend reserve, uh, saving reserves are 9 million which equates to a dividend year cover of 1.8. The other thing is, when you actually look at what they've got, okay, it's Moderna, ASML Holdings, which is a semicom- uh, semiconductor fabrication specialist for the people who make the, the plants for the semiconductor manufacturers, Tesla, Tencent, NVIDIA Corp. Some of those are big cash flow players that make money and pay big, big dividends, such as ASML, and others don't. So you've got to be careful going, you also got to be fairly big in this company because if you're not big, you're not going to make a difference at 13, when your fund is 13 billion. Yeah. Well, that's what we said a little bit about Finsbury Park, isn't it? And these guys are, well, yeah, what do you say? 13, 14 billion. 10 times larger. Yeah. So again, that's, that's, uh, you know, scale required with anything that you buy. But that, but what I think we're saying there is there are other ways to tackle buying funds shares that will keep you at least on the rails of inflation but that's a completely different strategy to say right these guys are going to grow faster than inflation will because yes while they're paying a 0.3 percent dividend it's not going to be significant unless you own an awful lot of that but i think it's worth highlighting that because the whole discussion about income and growth and what what have you is is slightly debatable but you know, look at if you're interested in those kind of companies and certainly the US focus, there's there's an investment trust that also covers that rather than looking at, you know, like we said, FTSE, FTSE 100 companies. OK, so I, I think I'm not sure we've managed to uh, keep up with inflation in this particular podcast. I suspect we're probably slightly below um, the required level. But just want to say thank you to Philip and we'll see you next time. This programme has been presented for information and educational purposes only.
None of the information or content of the programme is to be taken as an offer, opinion or recommendation by the programme's hosts or guests to buy or sell securities, nor is it intended to provide legal, tax, accounting, commercial or financial advice. Opinions and comments are based on information from sources believed to be reliable. All investing involves risk as prices go up or down based on a number of factors. Always consider consulting a financial professional before investing.